Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And you're in the right place at the right time because we have a special guest, the one and only Chris Chico on the podcast today. You never know what to expect That's right. when, you, when you have Chris Chico on the other line. So this will be entertaining. If you have any kids, I'd encourage you to like, put them in another room and, and don't let them listen. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I, I even have props. Here for us, here, this, so that, there you go. Wait, there you go, right here. In case yes. nobody can see that, maybe you can describe the hat that I just put on. <laughs> if you're listening to an audio podcast, it's the, what do you call that emoji? The poop emoji? Emoji, that's right. Yes. Emoji. I need one. Of, I wish I had one of those. Not get one for you as a gift. <laughs> yes. All right. But first, I want to let you all know that this podcast is brought to you by my book, Wholesaling Lease Options. You can get this doohickey for free that uh, will teach you how I quit my job in 08, 09. When, uh, when the economy was falling apart, everybody thought I was crazy, but I was flipping lease options in 09, the year after the recession started. And I was able to make, well, I was making more money doing deals than I was in my full-time job. And we'll talk about this because I, Chris Chico was one of the guys I started wholesaling from his course. I bought it in 08, started wholesaling, making money, but I got frustrated with the leads I was throwing away. So I was making money wholesaling. And I thought, well, why can't I wholesale lease options? And I started wholesaling lease options. And this book teaches you how to do flip lease option deals from beginning to end. This is a really timely book right now. And I think it's going to be important for you. And it's free. You just got to pay a little bit of shipping and handling and I'll send the book out to you. Go to WLObook.com. All right. WLObook.com. Chris, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Any day above ground is a great day. Today qualified. And right before the call, I told him I was doing great because... With everything happening right now, if you're listening to this podcast with everything happening right now with the virus, I always like to do the most difficult things as best I can. And so I, I have integrated into my life both the keto diet and intermittent fasting, <laughs> both at the same time simultaneously. And that way, when there is famine, everybody will fall, but I will stay alive because I eat like a bird right now. I feel sorry for you. Number one, it's <laughs> got to be depressing only barely eating anything. But you know, whatever floats your boat, Chris. Great. I'm even testing. This is the extent upon which I'm doing this. I even bought a blood meter to test my blood. And I test it twice a day to see if I'm in a ketogenic state. And uh, are you joking? Oh, I'm dead serious. I am dead serious. Twice a day? Sometimes I poke the finger and then I end up doing it in the wrong spot and I end up like poking, having to poke three fingers just to get the blood out of me so I could do it. That's how I am. I'm either all or nothing right now. We are, it's wartime. Nobody has told, did, did you get the memo, Joe call? Right now it is wartime. That means that everything is off the table. Okay. <laughs> oh man, I'm not going on any kind of diet right now. That's for sure. <laughs> I got more important things to worry about. Hey, look, we got Rick Ginn, mutual friend. Chris and Joe, go get it, guys. Glad you guys are here. Nate Andre. I don't, do you know Nate up in Wisconsin? Nate who? Nate Andre. It doesn't ring a bell, although maybe if I saw the Facebook profile, I might 
know who that is. Good guy. He's been actively doing deals for a long, long time. So a lot of people here are watching this right now on YouTube and the Facebook. So just hello. What's up? How's it going? This is live, but we'll be releasing this later as an audio podcast to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. So if you guys are watching live right now on Facebook or YouTube, say hello. Tell us where you're from. And if you've got any questions here, this would be a good time to get them typed into your YouTube or Facebook comments and we will get to the, well, I'll ask Chico with the questions and we'll be able to help you in any way we can. This is an important topic. Let me guys give you just a quick history of Chico. I've had him on my podcast many times. I remember when I was first getting started, still working a full-time job in my cubic hell, as I uh, affectionately call it. And I was um, hating life. Chris Chico had a you know, you know what? I didn't know this till later, but I was I had a course by Richard Roop and Dan Duran, mm-hmm. and I was listening to one of the live boot camps that they did. And Chris has a unique, distinctive <laughs> voice. And I heard this funny looking guy, sounding guy, and he was funny looking too, even though I couldn't see him. And on the boot camp, and he was asking Richard Roop and Dan Duran some questions about virtual wholesaling. And I remember so clearly they're they're like, nah, you can't do that. That's stupid. They like really cut him down. Yes, I remember that. They told told me I was a complete idiot and a buffoon. They did. (laughs) I mean, literally, it was not even like they're trying to be polite about it. Now, I probably shouldn't talk bad about them without them giving a chance to rebut. But like they were thinking at the time, you can't do virtual wholesaling. It doesn't work. You have to go see the seller. You negotiate with them in person. Don't listen to these young little river snappers. These guys that are coming out here telling you that you can do deals virtually doesn't work. So fast forward though a year or two and Chris comes out with this class called Absentee Owner Profits. And is that was that what it was called at first? That's what it was called at first, Absentee Owner Profits. And it basically what I what I took at the time I was doing deals and everything was do, I'd done everything virtually. Back then there was no like membership areas and stuff like that. And I had a I had a bunch of videos that I recorded for the people that were working for me that were kind of doing stuff behind the scenes. And basically, I just took that and uploaded to a site and I gave people access. And that's, you know, Alex Youngblood, uh, one of yeah. our mutual friends. He was my first ever customer. Oh, really? Yeah, he was my first ever customer. I'm like, I even called him because I thought, my God, there's another human being that bought my stuff. I, it must be really, really strange. I must have been in the top 10 or 12, maybe. Yes. I don't remember when I bought it exactly. All right. Rick says here, Chris, you're not in ketosis. I can see it in your eyes. I'm not in ketosis. I am in ketosis. I feel it. I feel it in my veins. Oh my God. I feel the, the euphoria plus two cups of coffee in my system. I'm ready to go. And by the way, we're saying that we don't want to say uh, uh, we were talking about rooping them. And to their defense, I'm still considered sometimes by many to be an imbecile and a moron. But hey, I was right about virtual wholesaling. So to their defense, just in case thank they call an income poop. And thank God you were. So uh, you you came out with this course called Absentee Owner Profits. And I told this story a hundred million times. If anybody's listened to this podcast, my back was against the wall. I was hemorrhaging cash. And I, you know, I used to buy tons of courses. I was a professional student. I'd buy tons of other courses. And I said, dang it, that's enough. I need to start implementing what I learned. I'm going to buy one more course and I'm going to buy, I actually bought two. I bought Chris's Absentee Owner Profits. You might've started calling it virtual wholesaling by then. I don't remember. And then I bought Steve Cook's wholesaling for fast cash. Now, Steve taught was mainly, he was mainly teaching, making, uh, you know, 50 offers a day on the MLS, which worked. Chris's though, his strategy was ugly yellow postcards to absentee owners. He had a one page contract and he had simple scripts and all that. And so I remember thinking, all right, I'm just going to buy this. I'm going to buy this one more course and I'm going to do what they say. And I'm not going to change a thing. And that was the first time in my life I made that decision. I'm going to do what Chris said. 
says, I'm not going to change anything. I didn't like the postcards. I thought they were stupid and ugly. I didn't like the contracts. It was a one-page contract. I thought, I'm sure it's full of holes. I didn't like his scripts. I didn't like his voicemails, but I, I'm just going to do it anyway. I guess we're just laying out all the skeletons right now, everything. We're just laying it all out right here. <laughs> so... I sent out these stupid postcards and sure enough, a lady called me. It wasn't even about her property. It was about another property she owned way out in the sticks, an hour and a half outside of St. Louis. It was a three family where there were no multifamilies. I couldn't get comps. Um, there were no buyers out there. This was must have been 2007 or eight. When did you come out with the course? Do you remember? Right around 2008. 2007 was when I came out with the absentee owner profits. And then right toward the end of 2007, ish uh, or 2008 january was when i uh, actually uh, had the name uh, virtual wholesaling where i actually came out with that course so this is all has a point me telling you the story has a point because we're going to be talking about how he transitioned into this because we're going to talk about what was going on then it parallels to what was going on here now and where the changes are coming all right so i said i'm going to do this so the lady called me i didn't want to give her an offer she literally chris begged me to make her an offer mm. and i used the um i was gonna joke and say that's kind of how you got married no never mind go ahead continue <laughs> <laughs> so I, I i pulled something out of my you know what and yeah. i came up with an offer it had listed before it would have expired the year before for 140 grand and i just said and i learned this from your course it's called the um well, never mind. I can't. I can't give it a name because there's kids listening. Wait, I told all the kids to leave. It's called the uh, rectal extraction method, and I, uh, I said I'll, I'll offer you fifty thousand for it, okay? And uh, she said, okay, fifty grand, right? Just like that. I said, okay, and um, I said, ah, what do I do now? So I pulled up your course. I looked at the contract. And I was like, I don't want to use this. It's just a one-page contract. So I still went and I got the realtor's contract, right. and I added in a ton of. <laughs> I added in a ton of addendums on there and contingencies. I had so many different contingencies. I'm sure they canceled each other out, right? And uh, I spent hours pouring over this contract. It was like perfect. I looked at all my other courses and added in all that that stuff. And like, I bring it to her and I was nervous because she's elderly. So I made sure her son was with her. And we I, I met her in a public place because I didn't want it to, you know, to be... I wanted it to be public so I have witnesses or whatever. Right. And I gave her the contract. She didn't even read it. She went to the signature page and just signed it. And I asked her son, "Is it, are you okay with this? And he's like, yeah, dude, whatever. And so I was like, oh my gosh, now I, what do I do now? I stuck a sign in the yard, sold it the next day. A realtor called me and I said, I got to tell you something. She's, the realtor said, I've got a cash buyer who wants this property. And I was advertising, I bought it for 50 and I was advertising it for 65. And so anyway, I said to the realtor, I, I hope this is okay. I hope I'm not breaking any laws. I got this property under contract. I don't even own it yet. And I'm, I haven't, is this okay? And he said, yeah, relax, dude. Said, All right. <laughs> So I, I finally sold it. I right and I didn't even have a title company. And the, and the realtor said, "We'll just use my buyer title company. It's not a big deal." So I called the title company and told them everything that was going on. I hope this is okay. I hope this isn't illegal. And the title company told me to chill out and relax. And so it turned, after all my costs, I made like thirteen grand on this deal, my first wholesaling deal, thanks to this guy right here, Chris Chico. So that was a, a long, introductory, boring story. Well, I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and, and always thankful and appreciative to hear your story because at the end of the day, you know, I always look at it. It's a blessing for me to be able to have an opportunity to have helped you. And, and obviously Joe is doing you know bigger and better things. And he's, he has a, a things that he's doing that I don't even know how they work. Maybe I should take his course on a couple of things, but at, at the end of the day, I always say that I accept that and say thank you with grace because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's the thing that keeps me going is the ability to be able to help and, and, and inspire others and, you know, and, and to help them. So I'm always appreciative of your, uh, of you telling the story. Well, I, I, I've told it about four times before on this podcast because I've had you on 
Three yeah, I was going to ask you, how many times have I been here? Probably you're one of our most popular guests. <laughs> one. I want to be the most popular guest. So my my intent is that at least for the next every quarter, I'm going to come up with something amazingly different and so groundbreaking that you're forced to bring me on and I will be the number one guest on your podcast. Uh, we'll see about that. Yes, we'll that's that. right. Okay, so I wanted to get you on, Chris. I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate your wisdom. Uh, you're always... You're just all, you're just one of the guys out there in our industry that are always thinking ahead and uh, looking at what's coming down the pipe, what's working now, what because what used to work then doesn't work now. But at the same time, we're coming into a time now where we're coming out of a seller's market into a buyer's market. And I remember I told the whole story of what we were talking about before because like back then in 06, when you were probably at this boot camp, you know things were on fire. Things were coming up. The real estate will never go down, right? It was easy to do these deals. And all of a sudden, you start realizing, because you're in Miami, well, you, I want you to tell your story a little bit. Like, <laughs> you were wholesaling deals for having some success, but you started seeing some things change and you started changing with the market. You well, you know, yeah, what happened is that actually the curiosity about doing things virtually came about before the crash. What happened is that there was a, and I don't even know the names, there's a couple of people, you know, nowadays you have a lot of people that are out there bringing people into markets like Ohio and St. Louis because they're looking to do cash flow properties, et cetera. And there was a group out of San Antonio, Texas that was, uh, that was doing that. They were bringing in people to San Antonio and explaining how it was such a great market. And, and so the, the thought occurred to me that, wow, I wonder if, you know, if, if I'm doing direct mail and, and I'm getting the list and back then, you know, it was difficult you know, just to give everybody for a reference. When I started, there was no Google Street View. So there was no way to look at properties that we have now. There was no really, in terms of data, there weren't really any programs like they are right now and so many services available to get data. So it was very difficult. So, you know, when I, when we send out a thousand postcards, you know, if we didn't pick up three or four deals, we thought something was wrong. And, you know, and even to the extent where back then with our systems, you know, our CRM was whenever we did a mailer, we then on a Monday or Tuesday, the calls would start to come in. And if we said that a thousand postcards, then I have a guy that would sit there with a notebook and spend the next two hours transcribing by hand and listening to every single message. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a, you know, back then before even people got acquisitions, people, I had just decided, you know what, I don't want to talk to sellers anymore. I don't like talking to these people anymore. I want to do the marketing. And I had two or three guys that were just doing everything, you know, talking with the sellers and putting the deals on the contract. And so I had some extra time. And that's the reason I mentioned that. And so what year was this? This was like 2005. I think it was probably a 2005-ish. And it was 2006-ish that I really started to look at, hey, there's a group there that's doing deals. I wonder if we could do deals. I mean, because I could get the list. I could get the list. And so my first market was, was, uh, was Jacksonville. And that's when I had the thought of, well, you know, if we're looking at an absentee owner and we're looking at an absentee owner that is, has owned the property for 20 years, and I can go and target those people, like say in a market like Jacksonville, because that's that one of the markets that they had looked at and they were doing deals in. And so I thought, well, you know, the only thing is the buyers, how am I going to get the buyers? And then I just thought, well, if the, the sellers are the people that own the property, the oldest, well, the buyers are the people that own the property, the newest. And back then, you know, a lot of, a lot of people now have the different software programs that help you pull the buyer's list. But, you know, for me, I figured that out manually. I, you know, uh, maybe I should have thought about the software for doing that, but I just did it manually. And back then we were sending out a postcard with a, with a, a website 
and we would send it out to all the cash buyers and they would just fill out the information. You can't do that now. It doesn't work that well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, for me, it was a it was me wanting to just kind of being a little bit bored. I had gotten into Internet marketing and I wanted to see if I could do that. However, though, as the market down here started to shift, then it was a blessing in disguise because all of a sudden now, you know, whereas the market here started to decline and then all of a sudden now, you know, you couldn't find deals. Then I was in a position where I was doing deals in other markets. And so, you know, because even while we had the bust, there were other markets throughout the country that never had the big upswing in prices. And so they never had the big drop that we did. And, and what were you seeing in Miami at the time? How did you know the market was changing back in the old six, seven, and eight? I remember that it was because of a the difference, the, the triggering point, and I forgot which hurricane it was. It was during a hurricane because it happened during the summer. And we had, you know, we had a hurricane that passed through. And after that hurricane came through here, down here in South Florida, that was kind of when everything just started to feel odd. And now the difference, there's a couple of differences, I think, to, for everybody to keep in mind between now, 2008 and now. Back in 2008, we the, the big problem that we had is that we as investors knew there was a certain point in time that we knew that, oh, we got a problem here. However, it wasn't so apparent to the sellers. So the sellers didn't know that they had, there was a problem. So really from 2008, 2009, it was the most difficult time here because the sellers didn't realize that their dreams of getting a certain price were completely gone, but they were still holding on to that. And I think it was only around 2010, 11, where all of a sudden now we had a situation where, where sellers knew that, okay, if I do want to sell, I have to come to the reality that there's a price here that I'm going to have to reduce by. Yeah. So, you know, the difference between then and now is that, you know, sellers right now, everybody knows that we got a problem. Now, the plus and the minus of that is that unlike 2008, where it was a, a much more longer problem, I think that we are going to, with what we have going on here, I think we are going to experience a slight dip, but it's not a situation where it's going to go on as long as 2008. But I think that the benefit that we have now dealing with the sellers now is that if somebody does raise their hands right now and says, yes, I want to sell my property, they have, they know that we've got a problem. And if they reach out to you, then they're motivated because they're not going to wait on the sidelines. So I think that's one of, one of the key issues and the differences with 2008 and here is that that was a big problem because the sellers, if you know that the market has declined and the seller was at 220 and now you got to get it for 150, you know, or 140. And, and they're like, no, they're still hanging on to that dream. And so I think that that's one of the key distinctions to take away from between now and, and that market. I think it's fascinating because People are worried as just as they worried back then, like, where, how am I going to do deals anymore? Like everything's falling apart, but there is always going to be an area around the country, right? Would you say, would you agree that where it's going to be easier to wholesale deals? Is there always an area where, how can I say it's a slight, uh, the answer is yes with an asterisk. And the way I look at it is this, if we look at the typical model, there's three models. I would say the first model, let's say is local wholesaling where you're, you're where you're at and you're going to do deals, right? Then there's virtual wholesaling, which is the term that I came up with. And virtual wholesaling, you could operate in a virtual wholesaling way in your current market, or you could decide to go to another market, right? Yeah. But at the same time, with those two models, you are making a decision about the market. 
And then let's say if you're using the virtual wholesaling market, I'm going to go into Idaho. I've never been to Idaho. And I'm going to go ahead and now decide on marketing. I may, I'm going to do direct mail. I'm going to do cold calling. I'm going to do SMS. And then you're going to kind of go in a vertical fashion in order to penetrate that market. The way I look at it is kind of the new model for me is that we apply marketing that goes out to a much wider audience. And we can get into the, the, the three different tiers of audiences that goes into a wider audience. And the leads are going to come in. And then the markets and the specific localities where you're doing business is dictated by where the leads come from. So rather than picking one place, you're picking first the methodology, which will allow you to get leads to come in. And then where those leads fall in is where you're going to do deals. Good. We'll talk about that in a minute because that's really important, especially what you're doing right now on Facebook ads. We got a lot about a lot of people coming in and commenting. We got Marlon from Kansas City. What's going on? Dimitri, listen to this. Did my first assignment out of Europe virtual in Florida after watching Chris on a one hour YouTube video. Oh wow, very cool. Thank you, Dimitri. Thank you for sharing that. Alex Pardo. I just had him on a podcast a minute ago. Miami. <laughs> Or as Chico would say, the land of milk, money, and honey. That's right. Fun fact about Chico, he has over 50 black shirts in his closet, and they're all the same. That's right. I always wear black. I never have to worry about, oh, gee, I wonder what I wore in that last video. Why? Because it's always the same. Remember Mike Nelson? Yes, that's right. Yeah, he's watching. What's up, Mike? How you doing? I think Mike's doing some stuff, uh, some cool stuff on YouTube. E-commerce. A lot of e-commerce stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, very cool guy. Seth Williams. Chris Chico is the man, a huge pioneer in the REI education space. I would say that's true. I mean, it was when you came out with that course, nobody else was really doing online virtual courses. Yeah. I remember people, again, ridiculing that, thinking, why would somebody, they have to have physical products. They have to have a DVD. They have to have the manuals. Nobody's going to want just online education stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. Back, back then, everything was, nobody had a membership site. And so I just was too cheap and too scared that I was going to print all these books and tapes and DVDs and nobody would buy it. So I I was like, well, I just want to upload it to a site. And everybody I told said, that's crazy. People want books and tapes. And I'm like, well, they ain't getting any from me. I tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, what is the crazy thing today? What are the things that we're saying today is, oh, that's crazy. That'll never happen. Right. But we're going to be talking about in 10, 15 years, like, wasn't that brilliant? Exactly. Exactly. Listen, to Mike Nelson, you guys look like twins. That's right. We go to the, although I think I would have to say that Joe McCall is still clinging on to that last bit of hope. I have given up all hope, as you can see. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't know, man. Uh, Dimitri's here from Belgium, and he says here, right now, it is cold calling Europeans that own houses in Florida. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, we got a lot of good people here commenting down below. So I think about this too, like virtual wholesaling kind of now is just accepted. It's normal. It's in trend. Everybody's doing it. But you just brought up a really good point. Um, It's not necessarily about picking a market, right? It's about maybe casting a wider net. Talk about what you're doing right now with your marketing and how you're getting these leads in these little small towns that, that you're, and you're like, you're getting them under contract and you're selling them. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So it actually happened by, you know, it's funny because it actually happened by accident because one day what happened is that, you know, with, with Facebook, you have targeting. Now targeting is different now than it was maybe a year and a half ago. We used to be able to target by zip codes and that's how I started, but then uh, Facebook took that away. And so now it required you to operate under a much larger area. And then what 
happened is just by accident, I was actually running a campaign. And then I turned on the campaign and lo and behold, the leads start to come in. And I'm like, and I'm having a, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I'm looking at the lead cost is like five or six dollars. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is like the honeypot. And then I realized that I forgot to put the targeting on the thing. So that means it was pulling leads from everywhere. And then that's kind of what spurred the thought process. Like, oh, that's interesting. And so what, what happened is that, um, you know, it was kind of forced upon because of Facebook. Facebook prefers wider audience, wider audiences. And I'll, I'll illustrate this by, by a story that I have with, with, one, with a student. Is like he was in St. Lucie. He was uh, doing deals in St. Lucie County. That's where he was doing deals. And, and he was doing Facebook ads there. And his lead cost was okay. It was about 30 bucks a lead. If you consider that compared to PPC or some of these other, uh, you know, these other, uh, plat- these other ways of generating sellers, it's still a pretty good cost per lead. And so, but, you know, he wanted to, he was on a, on a tight budget. So I said, hey, combine the three counties, three counties together, the county north of it and the county south of it and put them together. And he did that. And he had a little bit a better results. And I said, look, and I had told him to do the state, but he was really hesitant on doing it because the thoughts come up of how I'm going to sell it. And all these things come up. And I said, just listen, trust me, just run the whole state, run the whole state. All of a sudden he runs the whole state and he starts getting leads for like $10 a lead and really inexpensively. And in Florida, you know, we got like every other state, you got city concentrations. And then you got these places out in the middle of nowhere that, you know, that are just, you know, just big pieces of land and a couple houses here or there. And he ended up now ended up doing his first deal in an area called Citrus County in Florida. And he did it with a statewide campaign. And I asked him, I said, well, uh, have you ever been to Citrus County before? And he's like, I didn't even know the county existed until the lead come in. I got no idea. And so, I mean, I think it's a lot easier than it sounds. Okay. However, it's more of the issue of getting past the mindset of all the mental roadblocks that you would put in your mind about like, well, it's so far, I don't know this, I don't know that. So I think that the best, the first step is just get, you know, shifting your mindset because everything else is just an iteration of what we're already doing. And now there's more tools and everything online and it becomes much more easier. Now, so our methodology, and I don't know, uh, so so our methodology, and I don't know if you have any questions about that, but I can kind of go through just a brief overview of kind of how we're doing it. And then, you know, I'm more than happy to answer any questions or if you see any questions that are being answered there. Uh, So my methodology is, is, is going back to what I said. Most investors do is they're going to go in and pick a market, right? So let's say you're going to do your local market or maybe you're going to do an outside market. And then if you're going to do an outside market, you start to tend to try to do research. And none of us are researchers. And what I have found, even though, yeah, I might pull market research from here, market research from there. At the end of the day, it almost feels like at the end of the day, it's just throwing a dart. Because you saw that this guy on Facebook is doing deals and you're like, you know what, I'm going to try it. And so then once you pick a market, then you go vertically down to that market. You do direct mail, you do cold calling, text blast, RBMs, driving for dollars. So you're just focusing in on that market. And so that's the, the, the main part. The first part is just instead of doing that, you pick a much wider area. And so I look at it in terms of either beginner, intermediate and advanced. So beginner and a beginner, then I would ask you to select your entire state. So you're going to go ahead and select your entire state. That's a beginner. Intermediate, and I'll explain to you why those are are bracketed that way. Intermediate is that you would then combine two or three states together. And advanced would be that you would target the entire country. No, see, hold on here. I thought you were going to go the other way around. I thought you were going to say start with the state, then go down to the county, then go down to the city. You're saying go bigger. Correct. You're going to go bigger. (laughs) 
So what happened is that, like, for example, uh, this same student that I was talking to you about and a few other ones, we've gotten leads from students because I'm in here in Broward County. And the same thing with me, I'll advertise in the whole state of Florida and I'll get leads in my local county. I'll get leads in other counties as well. And so you get leads from everywhere. And so the reason I say beginner stick with one state is and I'm looking at it from the perspective of a combination of things. Number one, ease of doing deals cost per lead as well. So if you're brand new, it's very difficult. If your cost per lead is say $150, man, every lead is like you're, you're taking the lead and you bring it to, they're bringing it to you in a little nice soft pillow because you don't want anything to happen to it. And so there's a lot of risk involved because if you do anything wrong, if you mess up, if you don't know how to talk to sellers, then, you know, those leads are very expensive. So as a beginner, my thing is how can you get that lead cost as low as possible, but still have good quality leads. And so if you target the entire state, that's going to give you great lead cost per lead. So I would say an average $10 per lead. All right. So number one. And number two is the, the reason why as a beginner, you would target the, just that particular state is because if you are targeting more than one state, then every state has particular nuances of doing business. Right. And so that means that then if I'm in Florida, but if I'm wanting to do deals in St. Louis, I, I may, you know, I don't know how, if I'm brand new, never done a deal. Now I have to contend with understanding the nuances of two states or three states that potentially and how they work. Are there attorney states, escrow states? What are the laws regarding and all that other stuff? So really you want to stick to one state because now you're going to understand how the whole state works and you're going to focus on that. Then intermediate would be that then you would group two or three states together, right? Because now you're creating a bigger footprint. It could be that two or three states because you've done deals or know people in other states, et cetera. And then finally, you could do the entire country. But even with the entire country, if you think about it, we're not talking about just saying, I'm going to do deals in the entire United States of America. You, what, you, what you would do is you would, if you look at the, the top 20 states, you know, you would go and, for example, if I was in, in Florida, I might say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do Virginia, I'm going to do Florida, and I'm going to do Texas, because I know people in Texas, I have people in Virginia, and I'm familiar with it because I've done deals before in Texas. And so for me, those might be those three markets that I combine together. So there's some methodology, but even at a country level, you're only, you're not going to target the whole country, and you might eliminate certain states. You're not going to do California, maybe, because that's a tougher state. New York is an attorney state, much more difficult to work with. You know, so you're just picking out the, the MSAs where you know there's going to be activity and those are the ones you're going to target. And so really the first step is kind of doing, just changing your perception about what is your market. And now, and I've had students that have done deals in markets that were 10,000 population size, 5,000 population size. And so then now, so now the, the challenge is that then how do we do that? Because let's say if you were doing cold calling, if you were doing cold calling and I said, or, and I'm not, when I say these examples, I'm not saying any one of these methodologies are bad. Like I'm not saying cold calling is bad. I'm not saying text messaging is bad or any of that stuff. What I'm trying to explain is that those methodologies are not methodologies that you can implement on this model. Because if you're only doing cold calling and, and you're going to go ahead and target the state, it's very, very difficult to do that because of the fact of the costs involved in buying data, the total number of, you know, the, the number of dollars you have to make. It's really not possible. So what happens is just that this particular strategy lends itself well to online advertising. Because when you're doing online advertising, I can target the entire state. And then again, those leads will come in and without having to put up a lot of money. Like, cause even if you're, if you're doing direct mail, even if you're doing direct mail in your own area, you know, you would have to spend, you have to send out a thousand to two thousand postcards to get some relevant data. Whereas with this, you know, if I want to start running ads in Dallas, Texas, I can put up together a campaign for 20 or $30 a day and start getting leads. 
and start making adjustments right there on the fly. But, you know, this strategy here, the only way really that you can implement this strategy is by doing some sort of online marketing, online advertising, because if you're going to do it with conventional methods, it's just really not. Once you, let's say that I'm in Florida and I find that, you know what, I'm getting good deals. I've just sold a deal in Melbourne. It looks like a good area. I drummed up a few buyers. Now, at that point, you might be, you might consider, let me inject maybe one of the other marketing channels that I'm used to. Maybe let me get a, a tax delinquent list and let me text message them because now I see that this is a, a small pot of opportunity for me and I'm going to take advantage of that. But you allow the marketing and you allow the uh, the initial success of that marketing to kind of dictate where potentially you might dig versus making that initial that, that decision initially up front. Does that make sense? Good. Yeah, you can also even start doing direct mail. Yeah, we're, you starting, to see, we're starting to see 2 to 4% response rates on our postcards again. Uh, Sean Terry was saying the same thing the other day. Can you talk a little bit about Facebook ads compared to Google PPC? Well, you know, and actually we're just in the process of, I know, I know PPC, but I didn't implement PPC initially because of the fact that it was, I'll give some differences. I think PPC works also within this model. Okay. We're just rolling out some campaigns now that we're going to be rolling into our materials that we're getting great, that we're getting great success with. And the, the PPC also is a great way to implement this because PPC, the reason I didn't get into PPC when I first started and I decided with Facebook is because if you look at PPC and you're looking at going ahead and, and implementing it on a very hyper local method, meaning you're targeting the county or targeting a group of zip codes, that your cost per lead is very high. It's $150 per lead. Whereas with when you start targeting it in that wide audience, then what you're doing is I, I was having a conversation with Youngblood the other day. And what you're tapping into is you're tapping into you're tapping into excess inventory. You know, if you think about it, all these platforms are an auction. So if I say I want leads only in Broward County, then I'm going to have to up my price and, and pay as much as I can. Yeah. But if I'm doing statewide and I'm just telling Google, hey, whenever you have someone that is a prospect that's searching sell my house fast and nobody else wants that person because they haven't bid on it or whatever, I'll take it, send it to me. So it's almost like you're getting, uh, oh, this is the analogy I had. It's like shopping at Marshall's. That's the analogy that I have. So think of it this way. If you go to Marshall's and I know that a, a gentleman such as yourself who was always high into fashion, you might go to Marshall's and see yourself a Hugo Boss shirt, right? But tomorrow, the next week, you might go and you might find a an Armani shirt. And meaning, you, you know, you're, you like them both ways, but it doesn't matter to you if this week you buy a Hugo Boss shirt or next week you buy an Armani shirt, but you'll take them because they're good shirts, right? But if you said to me, Chico, I want to buy a Hugo Boss shirt today, today, I don't care. I want it today because I'm going to a special event. I'm going to the, uh, uh, I'm going to have dinner with my friend Chris Chico, and I always want to look my best because he always looks his best. Then what are you going to do? You're going to go to Nordstrom and you're going to buy the Hugo Boss shirt. But what are you going to do when you buy the Hugo Boss shirt? You're going to pay money for it. You're going to pay full retail value for that shirt. That's what I'm trying to say here. That you're going to Marshalls when you do statewide, you do national campaigns, you do wide audience. If you want local, you're going to go to Nordstrom and you're going to pay the price for it. How's that for it? I think that's a good analogy. That's a great analogy. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good job. <laughs> yes. All right. Can you can you give us a crash course on Facebook ads in five seconds? <laughs> yeah. Five minutes. Okay. So Facebook ads. So let's say that, uh, and again, just thinking off the top of my head. Number one is I recommend, and this is my advice. I'm gonna I'm gonna start off. I'm gonna get to that, but I'm gonna say one thing. I'm a firm believer that everyone here should learn three things. 
to be able to thrive in this economy and to put yourself in a position to be able to do well, even not during these times. I'm gonna, one I got them, right. One of them you are already doing, and that is that I firmly believe that everyone should learn how to buy and sell a property that is not their own principal residence. Now, some of you are here doing it as a business. You're doing multiple deals per month. Some of you may doing here because you have a job, but you, if you do two or three deals a year, you're golden, you love it. But everybody should learn how to do that because the art and the science of finding a property that is below market is a, is a skill that will serve you for the rest of your life. Number two, everybody should learn how to be a great communicator, how to sell. You know, I learned how to, uh, I think I'm, I'm an okay salesperson. I'm, I'm better at selling, you know, by, by writing stuff and that's how, you know, by doing stuff on the web. Whatever the modality is that you that you choose, um, is, is but you learn how you you have to be selling is how to communicate your point across to someone so that then now they see your point of view. Okay, that's that's really what selling is, and you have to get good at that. And the last thing is that everyone I believe should learn how to do online marketing and online advertising. Now, the best you know, keep in mind, I think the easiest platform to learn is Facebook. Once you learn one platform, they all copy each other. So every other platform. Now you learn the language. It's as if like, if you, this is a great example for, uh, with what you're doing. If you understand what a real estate contract is, how it works and the mechanics and the, and the structure of that contract. And if I teach you wholesaling, but now you're going to go implement Joe McCall's materials that even though his strategy is different, now you understand the language to be able to then execute on that strategy effectively. So learning how to do online advertising is learning the language of advertising and, and doing stuff online. And regardless, if maybe in the future you get somebody else to do it, then that's better because now if somebody is giving you a bunch of BS and you're like, look, I know what's going on and you ain't cutting the mustard. So you're out of here, buddy, because I got to find somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah. You know, it's not going to help help you. <laughs> so I say all those things because those are the three, three things that I believe in. And I believe that Facebook is the easiest platform to learn with. So what I recommend, the, the easiest way to do it. Hey, look, I, I'm going to give you, I'm going to try to, I'm going to give you guys here on this podcast, a strategy that you could potentially implement and you don't even need to buy anything from me. Okay. So here's the deal. What you're going to do, and you guys can uh, have a YouTube channel that have a video series just on Facebook ads, but and you can look at those. First step is you're going to go ahead and create a business page. A business page is like a website on Facebook property, and you're going to call it, you're going to make that page personal. It's going to be Chris Bice Houses. It's going to have my picture on it. It's going to come across personal in nature. Don't do like XYZ properties and put a little picture of a house avatar. And it's very like, then it looks like, like, like a machine, like a robot. You want to be a human being. That's number one. Number two, and you can watch some of my videos and, and you can actually grab one of my, one of my ads. Cause I think I showed on one of my videos is now then what you're going to do is all you're going to do is simply create a campaign inside of Facebook. So people get stuck on the targeting, like, oh, what kind of targeting am I having everything else? Just don't even put any targeting on it. You, you know, obviously it, it works better if you, if there's different strategies around targeting, but at the base level, I would say that if all you need to do is think of it this way, decrease the, the, the barrier to entry for yourself. Don't think of it as, oh man, I got to put an ad campaign in place and I'm going to spend a thousand dollars and then maybe I'm going to, I'm going to find a deal. Don't worry about all that stuff. If all you did was focus on creating your business page, and putting an ad campaign up on Facebook and spending $20. That's it. That's all. Because 
you know, you're, through the process of putting that together, then you're going to get at least in the stadium. You can't win the game if you're not in the stadium. Okay. And, and that's the first thing. So number one is I recommend a business page that is personal in nature. Number two, the easiest way to get started is uh, using lead forms. Some guys out there poo-poo the lead forms. They're like, oh, they're not the best and this and that, blah, blah, blah. But listen, you got to get the train station out of the gate. And using a lead form is the easiest way to do that. The Explain what a lead form is for somebody who doesn't know. A lead form is rather than when you click on an ad, and I'm sure you guys have had this experience, especially if you've seen Joe McCall's ads, you click on the link and then it takes you to a place outside of Facebook. Sometimes they're dark alleys. Sometimes they're wonderful places like Joe stuff, right? <laughs> but but regardless, you just jump off of Facebook. Facebook doesn't like that. So they created these forms that you can create inside of Facebook. It requires no technical skill. And what you do is basically you click on, they click on the button to your ad and the form pops up right there on Facebook. They fill out their information, click the submit button, and then they go back to Facebook, scrolling their cat videos and all that other stuff they like to do. Facebook is happy because they kept them on the platform. They can show them more of Joe McCall's ads. And most importantly, though, you've got a lead, but you got to lead without having to deal with all the technical issues of getting a website, of putting a landing page together and all that other stuff. However, that doesn't mean you shouldn't have a website. And I'll give you guys a tip. You should have a website and whatever, I don't know what vendor, do you have a link that you recommend for people to go to for a website? Uh, Joe likes carrots. Yeah, Joe likes um, carrots or with a plural or with, a, with without a plural? Plural. Joe likes carrots.com. Okay. You should register Joe likes carrot.com. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I'm a man of covering all bases. So what you do is go to Joe likes carrots.com, get yourself a website, get yourself a seller website. It's 50 bucks. And then, Select a domain that makes sense to a human being. I see a lot of times the investors, you get a domain that says Kansas for houses, for houses, buy for houses dot, you know, LLC. And like you talk to the seller and they're like, what? What is that? What is that? You don't want that. You want a site. This is an old domain that I used to have was sell your Florida home today.com. So if you call a seller and I say, hey, Joe, this is Chris from sell your Florida home today.com. And you just pause. And in their mind, they're like, yes, I understand. Like in one sentence, what you've done is you've told them, I have a website, I'm legitimate, and I like to buy houses, right? Just streamlines the whole thing. So get yourself a domain that an actual human being can understand. Don't use numbers. Don't use all kinds of weird characters. But you need, a, you need that website because whenever you get a website from Carrot, from Joe Likes Carrots. I feel like I'm your sponsor now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so when you go, you're going to need the privacy policy page uh, as a link. And then you just grab it from your website and do it there. And then here's another tip I'm going to give you guys. Here's another tip. The mode of communication is different. Okay. Joe and I, we talk all the time because we like each other, you know, every so often. Right. But if you think about it, even though him and I communicate, the majority of the conversation is always by text messaging, okay? The majority of the people that you're communicating with is right now by text messaging. If you look at all your friends, how many pe people you're calling? If I call my wife, she says, what's wrong? Why are you calling me? Why didn't you text me, okay. right? And, and she's married to me, right? <laughs> but the reason I say that is- Wait, about Your wife texts you even when you're in the house on the other side? Yes, yes. She still texts you. Yeah, yeah, she talks to me. Actually, my wife gets annoyed because sometimes she asks me, so for something, she's like, hey, remember to do this. And I say, could you send me an email about that, please? <laughs> you don't do that. Yeah, no. I do that. That, that, is, that is the truth. She gets very annoyed, but now she's used to it because 
if it's not in the, if you don't send me an email, you can't expect me to remember. Like if you tell me something and you don't send me an email, it's like, I'm just holding it for like a split second in my random access memory. And then I'm throwing it away. Okay. Uh, That's so smart. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, Great advice. But but the thing is, is this, I've had so many students that have told me that the initial conversation with a seller has started by text. They went back and forth, gathered some initial information. Finally, when it came down to that hard negotiation, meaning that they might ask the seller, hey, what were you thinking of asking? And the seller would tell them a price. But when they got to that core negotiation, now they get on the phone with them and they say, hey, do you mind if I give you a call just so that way I can we can discuss it might be easier over the phone. But guess what? They've been going back and forth on their phone. You're like in there with their friends. You're not in, you know, not like if you think about it, how many calls do I get a day that now AT&C says spam risk? The default, the default for me when I get a call that I don't know who it is, is to put it because it's it's either, it's either a guy from Pakistan or India telling me that the IRS is going to arrest me any moment now and I need to pay them some money. So so if you think about it that way, and then, and then going back to the example of my students, they've done a deal where the only the majority of the conversation with a seller on the phone has only been through a very small window where they negotiated the price and everything before and everything after was then done. Okay. Or doing it by text. And I say that by the fact that you have to understand that, you know, like if, if somebody's calling you in direct mail and they call you and leave your voice message, then granted, you know, that might be one to call them. Right. But if somebody's submitting a form, decrease the resistance by text messaging them and then and, and having a conversation, not having a conversation like, oh, this is Chris from Chris buys houses and we, we buy properties of cash, blah, blah, blah. Love to chat with you about your property. Now you sound like, you know, like, like a buffoon. Right. Uh, so you don't want to do that. You just want to you want to come across as if you're talking like a, to, to another friend of yours. You might have mistakes intentionally with your capitalization and you miss a dot or whatever. It doesn't matter. You want to get that conversation going. And so and what the biggest mistake I find is people like your text the seller and the, and the seller responds back. And what do you do? You call them right away. It's like they didn't invite you to call them yet. Like mm. you're just like, you know, you know, it's yeah. like it's like going on a date and then like you're like, I want to see your mom. I want to know, like, could we go to your house? And like, can I see your underwear drawer? Because I want to know if you keep clean underwear. Like, oh, well, 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 listen, we're just having a cup of coffee right now. So that's what I'm saying is that I understand that that sellers are communicating with you differently and be flexible with that. You know, many times when a call, when a, when a, you know, one message, will text message, most of them respond by text message. Some of them do not respond by text message. Some of them will have a back and forth with us by email. So if you think about it, if you're going into the online world, then you have to start maybe shifting your approach with sellers to be able to communicate in a way that they want to communicate. And the story, I'll leave it with this. The story I always tell is this. This was about a year ago. My wife was looking to get uh, health insurance and she went on the website. She input her information. The minute she did that, oh, her phone blew up. Everybody's calling. Everybody's calling because they want to talk to her because they want to sell her health insurance. One person, one guy messaged her and says, hey, look, I know you're getting a lot of calls and everything about this. And I just want to say I'm here. If you're interested, you can give me some information right here by text and I can do some research, et cetera. And what did he do? He did exactly what I'm telling you guys to do. The entire stream of conversation for a week was back and forth by text. Eventually he said, Hey, it'd be great if we got on the phone. And guess what? He was the one that got the policy because everybody else was calling and he was the only one that texted. But so that's the thing also that I want to, that I want to make sure that everybody understands. Do you ever um, do Facebook messenger? 
with them? Uh, well, if they if they communicate on the page, if they uh, like when you're running ads, people will leave messages on the page, and so you communicate them with with text with Facebook Messenger. And if that's the mode that they want to go on, then you just keep it going that way. You know, that's the thing that I think uh, investors struggle with. Like if you're used to getting direct mail and your leads are going through the phone, going through the funnel, and then getting into your CRM, and then now you're used to operating that way. Like you know, you're gonna call the people on your CRM, you're gonna pick up the phone, and and so what happens is a lot of times people miss opportunities. Because nowadays they're everywhere. The prospects are uh, texting you. They're calling you. They're sending you new emails. Maybe they're on messenger and you got to be flexible and adapt to yeah. where they're at, where they feel most comfortable interacting with you and go with that because at the end it's going to help you. Yeah. Good. All right. So what do your ads say? What kind of image do you use? What, what is the main text of your message? Well, the ads, uh, I'll see if maybe I can pull an ad here while I'm here with you. The, okay. So in terms of the images, we used to use, you know, when I first started, I was a pioneer in the digital bandit sign where it's a little sign and it had the zip code. And then when the zip codes went away, I just put the, uh, it just says we buy houses with a really yellow obnoxious sign. And some people still use that. However, Facebook does frown upon that now because they see that as being disruptive in their platform. And so what I would do and what we do is use houses that represent the type of house you're looking for. Like for example, uh, so a good image, an example of an image is if you go on Google and I'm telling you what I do, not what I do, because you know, when you go on Google, you type go, go to images, you know, those images may or may not be copyrighted. So the attorney in Chris Chico has to tell you that. I'm you don't want to know what kind of images yeah. you search. Yeah. Okay. If, you, uh, if you type in an image, let's say ugly house or code violation house or type in dirty house and you get a picture of a real dirty house, use images like that where, okay, number one, number two, put some pop into the image. And by that, I mean that you can Google this uh, or go on YouTube university, increase the saturation and increase the contrast of the image so that it pops. Sometimes if you go to Google street view, sometimes you'll see an image and you see that the sky was, was not as blue and everything looks dull. But if you put in a, a picture like that, it's just not really going to pop. And so what we do with all of our images, we increase the saturation, increase the contrast. It makes the images more vibrant and it catches the attention because what you're doing is you're looking to catch the attention. Does, so they, people does do, Facebook allow you to put big red borders on your v images anymore? Yeah, that's really, I haven't heard that before. I mean, they used to, people used to do that a long time ago, but that's really old, Joe. I mean, I mean, that's like, that's many years ago. <laughs> it worked. It worked really well. But I, I think Facebook said no more. You can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, yeah. Anything that's like in your too in your face, you got to think, keep that in mind. Anything too in your face, because you, what Facebook doesn't want, Facebook wants people to feel good when they're on their platform. Facebook doesn't want somebody to be like, oh, man, there goes that yellow, uh, yellow, the house with that obnoxious yellow sign. I hate these things. And they click on the little button that says report, report, report. And next thing you know, you got a problem. So, you know, you have to gauge it. Uh, so I, I right now don't recommend using the, the bandit signs. But again, some people are using it. If you, use, if you see something, somebody using something on Facebook, it means that, you know, there's so many millions of accounts. It means that maybe nobody has gotten around and nobody has complained. So, you know, Facebook is all about testing. Uh, the other thing when it comes to ad copy, it, what I found is uh, one of the things that I always had success with, with postcards and the reason why. I had why I was able to break out of the mold and have really great success because I bought a bunch of courses before I started doing my own postcards. I bought a bunch of courses, I implemented them, and I wasn't getting anywhere. And the courses had the typical we buy houses, you know, big, that's the big bold promise. And then what I ended up doing with my postcards is I ended up uh, taking those postcards and using that type of copy. Uh, when I when I got into postcards, I used more personalized copy. I used more story-based copy. And so then, for example, you could say, instead of saying, instead of putting an ad right now that says, we buy houses cash, blah, 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 you can say, Hey, my name is Chris. And despite everything going on right now, 
I still need a few houses to buy this month because, you know, I've got my lender still gave me the money and he says, go spend it. And I'm looking for houses that need work, that need a little fixing up. So what am I doing? I'm telling them a story because at the end of the day, what you want them to do is you want them to, if somebody's going through Facebook, nobody's going on Facebook to look for an advertisement. You know, the minute they smell something that, that is like a blatant advertising, all they're going to do is, is scroll. Your objective is to engage them and at least stop the scroll. So if you come across in a personal way, you have a good image and, and the ad, it comes across in a very conversational way. Now that begins to grease the wheel for them. If that's a good prospect that they might say, you know what, maybe I might. So let me go ahead and submit my information. Let me see what this guy has to offer. So you keep it real. Personal. Yeah, keep it real. Keep Not it real. Professional. Right. Um, well, I would say keep it, keep it real, keep it professional, but don't yell through a megaphone. That's the best way I can describe it. Most right. of you guys are yelling through a megaphone. Uh, you know, the, 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 the prospects are walking around with their ears like this because everybody else is yelling with a megaphone. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Talk a little bit. I know you mentioned it briefly, but the audiences like or targeting. What kind of basic targeting at, yeah, at a high well, level do you do? The one targeting is one targeting is no targeting at all. Okay, because if you think about it, Facebook will crawl your ad. If you're talking about real estate, which, by the way, just to make sure, when you're advertising in real estate, you have to select the housing category. You can't get away from that. People say that, you know, hey, maybe you can do... Don't If you don't select that, you can have your account at risk. Also, number two is don't run ads from your personal ad account. Make sure you create a business manager. You go to business.facebook.com, create a business manager, and run your ads from there. I wanted to mention that. Yeah. Um, now, now, what was the what was the question you asked me? Uh, your your targeting. Oh, so one type of targeting is no targeting, no no targeting at all, because of the fact that Facebook can crawl your. They'll crawl. They know that the picture is a picture of a house. They know that they can read your copy. They will crawl your privacy policy all the way through your website, and they will know what your website is about. So even before you launch a campaign, Facebook has an idea of who your prospects are. The other type of targeting is like, for example, and you could do this if you go into targeting. Like for example, uh, another targeting group is you. Uh, you can select Zillow, Homes.com, and Trulia. Those are three different targets. So you can, you'll put those in a different ad set. So the way the campaign structure works is you have one main campaign and underneath there, you have the ad set, which is like the sub of the campaigns. And each ad set is where the targeting happens. So you might have an ad set with no targeting. You have an ad set with like homes, uh, homes.com, Trulia, Zillow. Then you have another ad set with maybe you, you look for uh, interests that are loan related refinance, home loan, home modification, and then, then you group those together. And then you do another one where you take all, all of the interest that you gathered and then you just dump them all in there. And then what you're doing is you're giving Facebook different looks in order to try to find the right audience for you. And that's how we, you know, we structure campaigns in a particular way. But big picture is that, you know, don't let the targeting, you know, hung you up. You're giving Facebook enough to get it going and, and Facebook will find the right prospect for you. Really good. All right. I, I know we're coming up to an hour here and I want to make sure we're valuing your time. You do these deals virtually in other markets. Are, are you worried about finding buyers? Are you worried about selling them? No, we're not. We're not. I mean, the best when it comes to when it comes to buyers, number one is when you're looking at a deal, let's say number one is making sure that the deal is at least has has legs. So for example, uh, most recently that I had just looked at was uh, was uh, one in, uh, in 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 Melbourne where um, that particular property uh, I've never been to Melbourne. I look at it, 
I, in Florida, you know, everybody likes concrete block houses because we have hurricanes and frame houses are not that really great. And so then I look at this house on the Google Street View. It's a block house. I look around the neighborhood. I'm like, this is the type of neighborhood that we would normally buy. Even though I don't know that town, I know that's the type of neighborhood. However, I might get a lead of a property that is a little house. There is nothing else around it. There's like, I go out in the map, I go on Zillow and I look to see what active properties there are. And I'm like, well, there's hardly anything active. I don't think there's anything going on there. So from a, a pursuit pr perspective, I'm going to go after the one in Melbourne and not go after that one because that's going to be just a scratch lead, you know? And now on those leads, you could, if you're starting up brand new, call them, have a conversation with them, use them as practice, you know? But to a certain extent, your number one is making sure that you have the right targets because you are going to be, you have to be okay with the fact that some leads are going to come in and they're not going to be great. Then the second thing to do, and I, I think I heard you talk about this with, uh, with Pardo is agents. Look, right now, there's a couple of things. I think, I personally believe that it will make your life easier if you find a good set of agents to work with. Number one, number one, big picture, big picture. Everybody here in the real estate industry should be focused on continuing to generate revenue and continuing to, to push, uh, help, push um, uh, revenue toward everybody else in our industry. If you get a real estate agent involved, then guess what? They're going to make money. Title companies that make money. So you keep the flow going. So yeah. one of the things also to mention is I think right now, there's a couple of things. I want to talk about spreads. So I want to go back to spreads because I want to go, I want to touch on spreads for, for a second. But the easiest way for you to have, for you to be able to get these deals done is through agents because of the fact that, you know, if you think about it, if you want a hundred buyers, you have to go out and find a hundred buyers, but you could find 10 agents that have each of them 10 buyers. Now you got your hundred buyers. You also have a boots on the ground. You also have somebody who's not going to try to go around your back because that's the biggest concern that people have. The biggest concern that people have is somebody is going to go around my back and to take the deal away from me. If you have an agent that knows what they're doing, that knows that, Hey, I want to continue doing business with you. They're going to be your asset. Now you could argue that, Oh, I'm going to give up money, but you know what? It's okay. It's an insurance policy. So to me, I prefer to go in agents. Like for example, we had a deal where we went and we saw like, for example, here's a quick example. Let's have a property in that in Melbourne. And so I'm going to go look, at all the active properties, let's say that property is worth 130. So I'm going to do a Zillow search for anything in that higher bracket of price point, 125, 130, 40, 50. When you're looking at those Zillow listings, you're going to find houses that you know clearly evident that they're rehabbed. They're like completely done up. What are you going to do? Find the agent who's there. Yeah. They have access to that person investor who just bought that house and rehabbed the whole thing. So just call them up and work out a deal with them. You could do percentage. You know, depending on the size of the deal, you could do three to four to five percent, offer them a little bit more than the typical three percent. If it's a low end deal, offer them a flat fee so that at least they're making money off of the deal. And if they understand your business, then they're going to be great and, and they're going to be able to help you and make sure that the deal doesn't fall apart. So I think that uh, agents uh, to honestly are the best people to work with initially. And you don't have to worry about the loosey goosey buyers and, and people going around you and, and all the flakiness. And also the agents sometimes could be the glue that holds the deal together. Because now if your buyer's flaky, the agent could come in there and be the one that is holding that whole deal transaction because they want to get paid. Very and the, the other thing I wanted to mention about spreads, and this is just yeah, yeah. A, side, a side comment, is that when you're going out there right now, especially, and you're putting and you're looking for sellers, motivated sellers, you got to give a discount off of the ARV. Whatever you see ARV out there, it, it, buyers that are out there right now that are buying properties, they're going to want a discount. They're not going to be like, oh, yes, I'm still buying and I'll buy a full retail value than it was three weeks ago. That Those are dumb buyers. OK, they're going to be like, I'll buy, but I want I want a good discount. 
So that means when you're negotiating with sellers right now, you've got to get a great discount on that property, 10 to 20% off whatever the market value is. That's where you start from, not the ARV. You're starting at 90% of the ARV. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like if if I look at the property and let's say last month, the comp showed that that property is worth 200K, I'm thinking it ain't worth 200K today. It's worth 180. Okay. And that's where we're starting from yeah. because you got to offer a much better deal to the buyer to get them off of the block and to say, you know what, I'll come out, I'll take my money because this is a good deal. Uh, number one. Number two is I know, and listen, I've had some amazingly huge assignment fee. And a gold friend of mine always told me, you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And so we have to be mindful of that right now. Whatever you did before has changed. And obviously you want to be as aggressive as you can because you always want to make as much money as possible. But I would say that the be okay, be okay. And this is more of a public service announcement. Be okay with transacting, even though it may not be your target wholesale fee, because all your number one is, listen, at the end of the day, if I had 10 deals pending to close, I'd rather have 10 deals pending to close. Half of them fall apart and I get five versus one or two deals that are big assignments and one goes through the crap and then now I've lost a significant part of the income. And I think everybody right now should be building out their pipeline with that in mind that you're going to put deals together that may not fall, that may not come through. So you need to put enough of them together. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're doing transaction, let's say that you're doing a deal and you're only going to make 3K and the 3K is not a whole lot of money. For some of you, it, it might be a lot of money. I'm just saying in a relative, right? Joe, I think, aren't you going to get a Lamborghini or something, right? That, no, just kidding. He's not going to get a Lamborghini. I got one already in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, keep in mind is this. If you do a transaction for $3,000 and let's say you have an agent involved, uh, as an example, you make three, they make two. At the end of the day, you're helping all of us out. Because you're putting money in the pockets of agents, you're putting money in the pockets of the title company and everybody else in the whole stream. Because at the end of the day, you know, my public service announcement is that that you are, we all have to contribute to keeping the wheels of real estate moving forward and to keep uh, keep transactions happening. Uh, Mike Hanbury posted uh, a, a post on his uh, investor fuel that I belong to and uh, where he you know, like. Last week, there were X number of transactions, X number of pendings, X number of, of deals happening. So there's deals happening right now. You yeah. just got to put yourself in there. So th- that's my comment about, about the spread. Well, that, that's really good. I think working with realtors also helps with the whole licensing and brokering wholesaling without a license thing. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because now you're working with realtors. And they, they're going to do a lot of work that it's going to be too hard for you to do if the deals are virtual. Mm-hmm. I use lease options a lot for uh, lease options mm-hmm. as well. Chris, man, I appreciate your time. I know you're super busy and you've been with us already over an hour. How can people get a hold of you? How can they, what's your YouTube channel and, and what's, what's a good place to go find your course? You have a very comprehensive course. The Facebook ads is just one component of that, Yeah, but it's, it's one of the best courses on the market today for wholesaling and online marketing, things like that. Yeah, I'll tell you that. And we're just updating it because one of the commitments that I have for the students is always the materials is updated. Yeah. We are just moving. I don't know if I told you, but I'm moving over to Kajabi. Uh, moving over the entire membership platform. I'm, I'm, I'm just like today, as soon as we're done, I'm recording more videos because my commitment is to keep everything is fresh. I'm like the public's produce department. Everything has to be fresh. But you know, two things, you, you could Google my name, Chris Chico without an H. It's a fancy Chris. So no H on the name. You can Google me and you can find my website. And also you can also uh, check out my YouTube channel. If you want more information about my training, you can go to virtualwholesaling.com. Go Ooh. there. And then you'll be able to go from there and find every everywhere else that I may I may exist. You know, I always say that when I first started this business, right? 
uh, I had to, and I still do, I registered a domain with Chris Chico with, with H. So when people type that in, right, then they would be like, oh, I'm sorry, you spelled my name with an H, but it's okay. We can still be friends, but go here instead. <laughs> and so then now I know that I have arrived when then people starting in typing in Chris Chico with an H and Google said, oh, did you mean Chris Chico? Really? Now I knew that I was somebody. <laughs> I was going to say a stupid joke about what I search for and then what she, and where you show up. Where I show up. <laughs> it depends. Are you searching in the dark? Are you searching? Are you still searching in the dark web? <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. Virtualwholesaling.com. I like that domain, man. Yes. I love that concept. And this has been a really, really good informative podcast. Uh, Chris has a really good YouTube channel, guys. I recommend you go search for Chris Chico, his YouTube channel. He's constantly coming out with good information and make sure, make sure you subscribe and subscribe <laughs> to his YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really good. Virtualwholesaling.com. Let me just say again about his YouTube video. It's, it's one of the best YouTube videos on real estate right now. I really believe that. And he's got a lot of really good tutorials on there on doing the Facebook ads that we talked about, talking about provocative comments or topics. And it's, I, I recommend you check it out. Joe Patterson here says, thanks to both of you. A lot of info. Very good. Chris Bruce, you know, Chris. Don't yes. you? Hey, Chris, long time. No speak. I've been, uh, it's funny. You've been on my mind. We should connect soon. Somebody posted here, Nick. Now it's, we're all hidden now. Look at that. <laughs> Wait, Ronnie has, what is this? This is Nick. He says, thank you. Tell Chris for his short-term memory issue. He mentioned a bit ago, Ronnie White has a black belt memory course for free during this pandemic. And it's only 200. Usually anyhow, I thought I'd mention because I know it helps. Jim quick also just, all right, sorry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I know Jim quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I have, uh, my tool of choice is caffeine. Mike Hambright. He What's is up? such a nerd that Mike Hambright. I know those flipping nerds. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a nerd that guy is. It's an inside joke. <laughs> uh, We've got a podcast called flip nerd. That's right. That's right. That's right. Does he still do podcasts? He, he was pumping out podcasts like, like a machine gunner at that one point. Like he was just like, I can keep up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm giving him, a, I know yeah. he's like, what are you talking about? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's All right. right. <laughs> what a flipping nerd. All right. <laughs> appreciate it, Chris. Thanks Thank a lot, you. Man. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, everyone. And I uh, appreciate the time here together and uh, love to help uh, you guys check out my channel. Go to virtualwholesaling.com. And again, my quest for being the most the most frequent guest on Joe's podcast still continues. Let's do it. We'll, we'll have you on again, I'm sure. Thanks okay. again, Chris. All right. Bye-bye, everybody.